right. Hello. I am Noel Walton with the Joint Chiefs of Real Estate Partners. Welcome to the Wealth Tank Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Groves. And our guest today is Mr. Rasul Mudawakil. Thanks for joining us, Rasul. Thanks for being here, man. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I love it. Thanks for having me. I'm proud to be your very first guest. Uh, you guys are going to do some awesome things. I see what you do in real estate and then spreading that knowledge and getting that out to the masses is going to be like incredible for everybody. We're, you know, we're super excited to have you on board today, Rasul. Um, you know, we're, I know we've been friends for a while and, and uh, you know, really been connected through the same network. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, really want to dive in today a lot and uh, talk a lot about your uh, history of the last couple of years in commercial real estate, how you've gotten over 3000 doors as a general partner in commercial real That's estate awesome. yeah. <laughs> and, and more about, you know, uh, you know, your, your initial start as a U.S. Army veteran. And, and uh, you know, now obviously you're just killing it. You're a uh, master networker. And so <laughs> love to, you know, talk more about that. So, Rasul, uh, yeah, tell us more about you, where you came from, uh, and how you got to where you are today. You know, I actually literally just now when you had made those two correlations of my history and commercial multifamily and the fact that I was a veteran, you know, it, it just reminded me that even from a very young age, you know, I graduated high school, I had a good GPA, I was like 4.3, um, you know, I did really good in math and science, excelled in those things, physics, calculus and whatnot. But for whatever reason, I just did not want to go to college. I was like, I've been in, I've been in school for like my whole life. I want to just be different. And a, and a military recruiter came and talked to me. And luckily for him, I had just watched Full Metal Jacket. And I, I liked the videos <laughs> and the whole entire pitch about joining the military and whatnot. And I was like, oh, this is different. This is off the beaten path. At least in my mind, it was, right? Because everybody I knew, like we all, we are all taught the same success formula. You know, you go to school, you get a degree, you go get a good job. You work for 40 years and hopefully you have enough money in the stock market and then maybe you can retire before you get, you know, incapacitated from being too old to live your life, right? And I was like, yeah. that's that's not me, man. I gotta do something going different. What a plan. Yeah, what a plan, right? And so I was a little bit on the fence about whether or not I really wanted to join and sign up. I was like, is that really what I wanted to do? And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm 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 hanging out with my girlfriend and uh at the time, and um we see on the news 9-11 happened. And then boom, switch went off. Time to go call to action, right? So it's like, you know, that sense of urgency was placed in me. I talked to the recruiter. I went to MEPS, did my little duck walk in my underwear with everybody else, right? I don't even really remember <laughs> doing that. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Memories, memories. Yeah. And, they, and they test your flat footness, all that stuff. But but from from then, man, I just, you know, um, I, I you know, maxed out the ASVAB. I went in as um, military intelligence as a Korean linguist which was a lot of fun, spent my first year overseas by myself, you know, away from family and whatnot. And um, that just showed me that whatever the masses are doing, right, I know it's like, there's something, there's something else. I don't want to be just herded around like a, like a sheep, right? So uh, when it came to commercial multifamily, at that point in my life, I had actually drunk the Kool-Aid. I went to college. I got the good degree. Uh, my degrees in video game programming. I got the the career, you know, federal employee, climbing the ladder in the ranks and everything like that. And by the time I made it to like that coveted six figure income, I stopped and I looked at the last you know ten years of what I was really doing and then what the next ten years would look like. And you know, for me, I, I ascended pretty quickly into like a like a GS thirteen, which is like a pretty high level in in the federal government. And by that time, I saw all the old timers who were just dying or retiring, and they're just miserable. And I was just like, mm -hmm. 
ah, that's yeah. that's a, that's a glimpse into my future if I keep it up, right? They're they're doing that's that. motivation. Doing. Yeah, and so I talked to my wife. She was also a federal employee. She was on the same hustling grind. Um, she's actually started in the, in the government before I did, and we got together and put our heads together. Like, babe, I was like, if you think about it, right? Because I'm like, I'm not a big car guy, but I like nice cars. Right. And I've always in my mind, it's like, I'm going to buy a Lamborghini one day. Right. And you look at the price of these things, it's like $250,000. I was like, yeah. I could like work, you know, let's say I'm making $100,000 a year after taxes, expenses, all this other stuff. Right. I, I take home like, you know, $60,000 a year. I would have to save everything that I would make, not eat, not pay for rent, not go out, not do anything. And I would have to save all the money that my job paid me was at uh, $240,000 for six years straight just to be able to buy the thing, right? And I was like, when I see like there's other, you know, I live in Miami. So I see these young 20-year-old somethings, 30-year-old somethings, they're driving around Lambos. I was like, these guys didn't do that. And so that's, you know, it's like when you have that curiosity, you start to ask these questions and then the gears start turning a little bit more. Again, I'm a, I'm a pretty smart guy, right? And then I just started waking up, taking the cobwebs from, from my eyes and seeing what really is out there. So my first thing was uh, me and my wife, we Googled how do people get rich, right? And then it says 95% of millionaires are made in real estate. Seems like a pretty safe place to start, right? And yeah. from there, um, we found bigger pockets. A lot of people might be familiar with that. Uh, mm -hmm. I watch podcasts from Brandon Turner, which is ironic because I work with him now, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, indirectly as a partner, I'm with Disrupt Equity. He does open door capital and we partner on large multifamily deals. So I'll get to that point in a little bit. But for, for the people who are just starting out and they're trying to figure out like, what's my way out of the rat race? How do I get onto this track of financial freedom, personal freedom, time freedom, all of those things? Like you gotta one get into something where there's a high high probability of success. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and they don't understand the statistics. You know, math is my background, right? Um, uh, if you want to start a new business, ninety percent of those businesses will fail. Of the ten percent that make it in year one, in year two, ninety percent of those businesses will fail. So I'm looking. I was like, well, okay, cool. One out of a hundred will make it if you started your own business and any, you know, across the board versus 95% of people who get into real estate become millionaires. It was kind of a- And you don't lose your sanity in the meantime. I'm having a blast, man. So, so the very first thing that I got into, yeah. um, some people might be familiar with, if you're not familiar, is the term house hacking. I learned how to like massively reduce, or in some cases, for some people, you can eliminate your cost of living expense, which is your number one expense. Most people pay the most on their mortgage or their rent or anything like that. And yeah, it, it's, so, it's so like ingenious because when we go and, and get our you know, traditional financing on a house, right, we get uh, you know, uh, a mortgage. But that mortgage applies to not only just a single family house, but you can get it on a duplex, you can get it on a triplex, mm -hmm. you can get it on a fourplex even, right? And as veterans, I'm able to get a loan 0% um, you know, down. I get the VA loan, right? Really? So, I didn't even realize that. I, I was thinking like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go the FHA route because I, I wasn't even tapped into my military benefits at the time. I, I did. I just didn't know. I was too busy on my on my uh, corporate ladder climb and everything like that. So I was like, all right, let me get into real estate. And then I was following the traditional advice of what everybody else was doing in these um, real estate circles. So then I got a five percent um, down payment. It was still not bad. Conventional loan on this duplex in Miami. We lived in one side. Our mortgage was twenty one hundred dollars. 
and the rent for the other unit that we that we were renting out was eighteen hundred, right? So it cost me three hundred dollars a month to live in Miami on a property that I owned. I wasn't renting it out, right? So that just started like opening up even more doors. It's like holy crap! I'm like I'm saving, you know, you know, after all my expenses and everything like that, I'd be lucky if I was able to save like a thousand dollars a month, right? I just eliminated friggin' eighteen hundred dollars a month or added $1,800 a month into my savings ability. So that thousand turned into 18. I more than doubled my, my savings capacity just by doing that one little trick. And then, you know, the, the renter, the tenant, um, she actually wanted to do Airbnb in the unit she was renting from me. That was the agreement. But then she had like some sketchy things happen. I think at one point she got robbed while we were away and all sort of stuff. They were just taking stuff out of it. It was all her stuff. It wasn't mine, but me and my wife were next door. And I'm like, I don't like that. So I terminated my contract with her. And I was like, I looked at the numbers on Airbnb and I was like, babe, look, look at this Airbnb in Miami, right? This is back in 20. No brainer. And um, I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, let's, I think we can do this better than she did because, you know, she was weird and we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're smart. We can figure this out. And so we did Airbnb. Um, I still got pictures somewhere. I'll post them of uh, me and my wife. She was um, pregnant at the time. So she had the belly and everything. She's painting um the uh the baseboards and i'm i'm fixing tiles and doing all this we're just doing all this manually we didn't want to subcontract out because um, we had some cash but we didn't really know about how to hire somebody to do it because you know labor in miami is expensive so from there we started doing airbnb on that other unit and we're like taken aback by how much more money you can make in airbnb and i told my wife i was like babe hear me out the you know the gears are turning i got another idea what if we did Airbnb on both sides and we moved in with my mom and dad? She liked the idea. I mean, and, and it was awesome that we did that because that one duplex was pulling in $70,000 a year, right? Wow. wow. And, and uh, that, that's on top that's of- That's net? No, 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 that's gross. You know, gross, okay. Net, I mean, but again, my mortgage was $2,100 and mm-hmm. um, maybe $500 in utilities. The cleaning yeah, solid. Were, were off put to the um, uh, to the guests who were coming in. So every time that my cleaners came in and cleaned, I paid them, but I was getting paid basically 50% of what they were making, right? Which was amazing. So they were happy getting paid like, you know, 75 bucks of cleaning. And I was making, um, I tra- I charge 100, right? Or, or 110 or whatever it was, depending on what it was. So I made roughly 40, 50% of whatever the cleaners were making by them doing their work, right? Everybody was happy, yeah. especially me. And so- you know, I don't have to tell you about how the appreciation in Miami went from 2018 up until COVID. And it was right yeah. around that time, you know, the, the the city shut down. And yes, I was making a lot of money in Airbnb. But the problem was I was spending a lot of time there. Because what they don't tell you, all of these, all these gurus about how to have property management handling your short-term rental was that even if you have short-term rental property management companies, they suck. And they, they charge you a hefty amount, like 20, 30% of your yeah, uh, I've seen that. gross rents, right? And so that's why I never really hired them. So it, it was all down to me to make sure that everything was done well for my guests because I was checking guests in, I was checking guests out, and I was making sure that, you know, whatever my cleaners were telling me, they kept an eye on the place, you know, for whatever was broken, needed to be replaced, that I would just, you know, pay to go get it, or I'd be going to do Walmart runs to go restock everything. And when, when COVID happened, it was a double-edged sword. I lost the income, yes, but I got back all of my time. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much time that I lost. I was even afraid of leaving on the weekends because weekends are always booked in Miami, right? 
but I couldn't go see my family in Orlando. My brother lives up there. My mother-in-law's over there. And so that made me start. And so COVID was right around what, March of 2020. That's yeah, when I was yeah. like, okay, there's got to be a better way. Cause I cannot manage even one more property going at this. I had two doors and I was like mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And I was like, I know there's people out there who are doing, you know, hundreds of units of real estate. How are they doing this? And that's when I found Rock Please Bootcamp. And, you know, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And like, then, uh, yeah. And um, I, I did the, the, you know, successful entrepreneur's cheat code to success. I hired a mentor. I paid somebody who was doing what I wanted to do and had them teach me. And that's what I did. And that's where I met Noel and Tom. And we were, were all in the same mastermind, which was fantastic. And I learned everything that I needed to know to get started in multifamily. It didn't give me everything that I needed, but it gave me enough, to, you know, enough confidence and enough, you know, confidence to take action and say, okay, cool. I invested into my first deal as a passive investor um, shortly after. And, you know, with all that Airbnb money. And uh, I was like, wow, now I'm tying what I'm learning in these courses to real life and seeing how the two come together. So now the gears are going like, how do I like, how do I put this on steroids? And so I just, I said, all right, what am I, what am I really good at? How can I help the most number of people? And I'm real big into underwriting, right? Analyze, and for people who are watching, underwriting is basically just analyzing these apartment buildings and determining which ones have a really high probability of success, right? By just, you know, looking at projected rents, looking at the market, the demographics, the labor statistics, all these other things. It's not rocket science. It's a little bit involved in work, but once you start doing it a few times, then you get the hang of it and then it's easy. At this point, someone can send me a deal. I can do one quick calculation in my calculator and determine whether or not I even want to look more into that deal, right? Somebody sent me a deal here um, last night, as a matter of fact, 160 some units in Miami. And it's $300,000 a door. I'm like, it's not going to fly, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it depends, but most likely for the, from, from where it's coming from and where it's located, uh, $300,000 a door, I'm sorry. Um, $300,000 a door is, is too expensive for this market. And so um, with, with all of that skill set that I had of applying massive value, every, I was networking with as many people as I could. I met Noel, met Tom, and a bunch, I mean, I probably met, thousands of people at this point but early on i didn't have anything of value i didn't have i made some money near me but i didn't have millions of dollars to take down an apartment building for myself i didn't have any commercial multifamily experience you know just my residential duplex so i had to have partners to come along with how did i add value to them i applied my analytical skills and then my analytical skills introduced me to some other people who really valued my insight to these properties and they were willing to invest with me based on my judgment and so I married all that together. So now I had deals I was finding. I had the capital that was bringing to the table and I started putting them together and I started throwing deals together. Boom, 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 boom. And the beautiful thing about doing it that way is that I'm basically all outsourcing all the stuff that I don't want to do. I'm not swinging hammers. I'm not managing tenants, toilets, termites. I don't have to deal with property management. All I do is let my investors know how the property is doing, which we're always doing renovations and we're increasing rents because- I don't know if you guys who are renting have ever experienced this, but every time my rent renewal comes through, it had never gone down, right? Rents are always ever. And it's, and it's just a matter of, can you get to a place where uh, a property's rent is substa- uh, sufficiently below the market rent, the going average rent, where you can put some money in capital infusion into that building, improve the property, get those higher rents, and then still get enough of a good return to the investors.
in a nutshell that's what we do yeah that's, that's it. awesome so that's awesome man that's me start to finish man Milla, you know knows the tale that's awesome man and i appreciate you sharing that and uh you know it really makes it um tangible when you see someone who kind of came up through the ranks went into the military went through school has different life experiences did what was expected Mm-hmm. and uh, what's kind of routine and then you just started to grow and steamroll and now like you said you're at over 3,000 units yeah um and that that's incredible so I I just have a quick question for you if you want to uh, touch base on this really quick you know what advice do you have for veterans being a veteran yourself what advice yeah. do you have for veterans um that you know you will talk to or have talked to mm-hmm. that are transitioning from the military what you know, um, you may have a veteran, you know, one of the key people that we try to reach out to here, as you look at those, those uh, senior enlisted, those senior officers that may be in that, that GS-12, GS-13 job, and they've recognized what you have recognized at that time saying, you know what, this is great, but I don't want to just die out in this job. I want to do something differently. To that individual, what advice would you give them? You know, to the guys who are coming out from the military, you're still relatively young, right? Because most of us join, I would, I think, at least in my speech, I joined when I was 18. So 20 years of service puts me at 38, right? And so you're right around my age where I would have been now if I would have stuck uh, did my full 20, which I did not have the temperament to do that. I didn't even have the temperament to do my first five, to be honest. But my advice would be, I mean, you're in a really, really good spot because now you're getting out. You've got your military pension. You've got TRICARE for life. Um, I would say if, if you're serious about wanting to grow beyond just the nine to five life, because yes, your skills are transferable into the federal uh, or I guess the, the corporate work life, right? You can go get hired at most jobs. If you want to get into the federal government, it's relatively easy to do so because you you actually get a bonus bumps to get into a GS job over civilian counterparts. A lot of people don't know. I don't know if people know that or not, but because I was a veteran, I'm a disabled veteran at that. Um, if you're at least, I think 30%, you get like uh, 10 points on a scale of like one to 30. So you get like a huge, like 30% increase over people who are applying for the same, um, same job just for being a disabled veteran. Um, so I would say, it depends on what you really want to do because honestly entrepreneurial life is not for everybody but if you have that itch or that calling that there is something more to life than just working nine to five for 40 years and trying to retire at the, at the end then i would i would strongly suggest taking a really good look at real estate right and if you are getting out use your va loan on a fourplex that's the very first thing that you should do eliminate your living expense altogether. You know, if you got a family, you got kids and all that stuff, you know, suck it up, <laughs> get, get in there, just do it for a year. Because after that first year, you can go ahead and move out of that unit and get into a single family house. Full disclosure, I did it sooner because I had a life-changing event when my wife got pregnant. She no longer wanted to stay in that duplex. So I had a reason yep. to change my conventional loan from the, which is a 5%. It's, it's kind of like a similar thing, 5% conventional 3.5% FHA loan, 0% VA loan. These are all um, loans that require you to live, uh, use that use that loan on a property where you intend intend to live at exactly. least one year. It's the intention. <laughs> I, I intended to live in there. Then I figured out all the other stuff in really short order. So 
uh, I don't know if I said that too fast, but use your VA loan, buy a fourplex and eliminate your living expense and receive cash flow. Because the way it, the math works is you live in one unit, two of the other units are covering your mortgage costs, right? If you buy it right. Yeah, absolutely. And then that, th and that, and that fourth unit is going to be your, uh, your cash flow. So as a, as a hypothetical example, let's just say it's a, a fourplex where, you know, it's bringing in $4,000 a month. All right, you're not collecting one thousand from where you're living, to, um, or it's two thousand dollars a month to to buy, uh, to pay the mortgage on that thing. Two of the units are paying a thousand, so that's taking care of your mortgage. You're pocketing a thousand from that fourth unit, which is going to be used for like different repairs, vacancies when people move out, or whatever it might be. But you're not paying your your share of the rent for wherever you live, and you can adjust that for whatever market you're in. A fourplex here in Miami would probably command like eight thousand dollars a month in rent. Right. If you're in the Midwest where I was living at the time in Kansas City, you know, you can rent something for really, really cheap. I can buy a house for like 200 grand. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's, that's, that's awesome advice though. And yeah. I mean, and that's regardless of whether or not, I mean, if you qualify for the VA loan, it doesn't matter if you've done your 20 years or, do, or you've done the time that you've done. Yeah. Noel's done or I've done, you know, that's irrelevant. The opportunity is the same. Yep. And uh, that's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. Yeah, I appreciate that, Russell. That's good stuff. And uh, so another question I wanted to ask you as well is, uh, this is kind of more of a really interesting, you know, metaphorical type question, but if sure. you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere mm -hmm. with anything on it, uh, you know, getting a message out to billions of people, mm -hmm. what would it say and why? Oh, man. When you're talking to that many people, golly. That's a tough question. That's a tough question because, you know, <laughs> when, I, when I do these podcasts, I've been on a number of them right now, and, and it's always focused on the target audience of people who are watching and how can I give financial literacy advice, uh, real estate advice, uh, stuff like that. When you're talking about something to that scale, you know, I'm going above and beyond um what we're doing here in real estate and um you're talking to just people I, I would honestly i would i would have it say be kind right i think yeah. i think um uh, and the reason why is because too many of us and kind of we live in our own little bubbles right and we don't want other people's bubbles encroaching on ours and then when it does mm. there's you, this, this this friction because I've taken the approach, right, where um, where I grew up, right? I grew up in not the greatest part of Miami. And if you look at somebody the wrong way, that might start a fight, right? And so, yeah. you know, walking around, head down, keep to yourself, all sort of stuff. But the reality is when you get out into other parts of the world, especially when I lived in Kansas City in the Midwest, I can't say enough, you know, praises about the Midwest. The only bad thing about the Midwest is the winter. And the winter lasts for a disproportionate amount of time compared to the other seasons. But other than that, man, the people out there are absolutely wonderful. And I've never experienced that anywhere that I've been, except for maybe Korea. But everybody's just so welcoming and nice. And I remember I was out, um, I, I took my car into the shop one day. I sat down on the curb and I was just waiting for my car to um, get fixed. And this old dude, he's probably like 70 years old, sat next to me and he just started chopping it up. And we just sat there and talked for like 45 minutes. And then he's like, well, my vehicle's done. It was nice talking to a young man. And, and I was like, never in my life. I was probably 31, 32 years old at the time when I experienced this. 
And it's just like, you know, you just, you just, I don't know. We just sat down. He saw I was by myself and he started talking to me. So I would say, yes, have a big billboard that says be kind. Or maybe I would have to say go out and be kind to make it more intentional, not just like an afterthought, but mm-hmm. like, hey, yeah. take action. Go out there and be kind to somebody. Right. I was, that's, that's, my, that's my refined answer. Go oh, out that's... and be kind. Great advice. Like it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So in that, and leading into, you know, obviously you, you told your story, phenomenal story, uh, how you got into this business in commercial real estate. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, wh- one of the things I know people are scared a lot of times of failing. So they never take action. Right. So, you know, what, obviously those of us who have taken action and, and, gotten places with our career in real estate so that European people like to call a failure right yeah uh, but you have to look at it differently than it being a failure but what for the purposes of, the, of this question i'll use the term failure uh, we like to call them seminars or lessons, lessons right learned yeah exactly lessons learned aar after action reviews right but yeah. what would you say uh, you know, what was a, a major failure or lesson that you encountered in your journey that really set you up for later success? Yeah, um, that's that's an awesome question. And I I think because everybody sees me in multifamily and what I've done in this short amount of time, right? Because I, I, I first learned about commercial multifamily investing in um, uh, July of 2020. And here we are in February of 2023 with over 3,000 doors. Like, oh my God, how did he do it? What people didn't see is what happened from when I was 18 years old all the way up to that point. And there's mm-hmm. that whole entire time is just completely littered with failures. And um, even before that, even before the military, I remember I started um, a couple of MLM companies, multi-level marketing, right? network marketing, they call it. I sold... Uh, uh, Herbalife. I did Legal Shield. You know, this is while I was in high school, right? I did uh, YTB, which went bankrupt as like a Ponzi scheme or something like that. Your travel biz, <laughs> and it got renamed into something else. Um, uh, golly, I've tried so many things. After I got, after I graduated college and I got my degree in video game programming, I was in the midst of the Great Recession. I couldn't even get a job as a programmer back then, right? Which <laughs> is kind of reminiscent of times right now where mm-hmm. Amazon and Google and all these you know tech companies are laying off tens of thousands not hundreds of thousands of employees right like pay attention people for what's coming yeah. in the very near future right and so why I, I think it's so important to get um, educated in how to handle and manage real estate because this is going to be our you know probably biggest once in a lifetime opportunity for us to capitalize on what's happening but before I go into all that, Failures. After I couldn't get a job, you know, use, utilizing this degree that I just paid eighty thousand dollars for, right? I got into life insurance sales, and I was so bad at life insurance sales because another thing that people don't know about me is that growing up, I was a very shy person. I was absolutely terrified. To talk to somebody, if you told me that I had to get on stage or get in front of the class and talk to somebody, I was shaking like a wet chihuahua, right? Like I was, I would, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I would visibly, that. like I would feel my heartbeat just like pushing me around, like 
no, don't make me do this. Right. And so I was, I would like, I'd have to the point of tears. Like I was just bad, bad, bad. And so when I had this, um, you know, the reason why I took the sales job is because I needed to pay out these student loans. My deferment was coming up. Right. And so the, you know, which I didn't realize that the interest is still accruing against me at that whole entire $80,000 balance. They don't tell you these things. Right. Deferment is not a good thing. You can defer payments, but you're not deferring the interest accrual. Right. So that's another thing we can talk about at another point. Um, but I was like, all right, well, I'm, my student loans are going to start coming due and I'm running out of VA loan money. I had my uh, GI bill money. Uh, and so I took this job. I was like, OK, I'm going to learn how to do sales. And thank God that I stuck with it long enough to 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 figure it out. But my very first um, sales call, I was out at a client's house with my manager because he did the first part of the pitch and then I did this I was going to do the second part so he just teed him up and then passed it over to me and it goes exactly like this ready this is my first sales call I'm sitting on the couch clients here managers here and I'm like hello Mr. Client my name is my name is <laughs> not nervous at all oh my god and I, I look at my manager real quick <laughs> I just see his eyes he's like oh my god what are you doing he mouthed it to me he's like <laughs> I forgot my name I was yeah. so, oh, nice. so scared and so talk about being a failure I, I don't think anybody in the history of sales can say that their first call was worse than mine that was in person I mean, this lady just, you know, she still ended up buying like a small, like $15 a month policy or something. I was selling life insurance at the time. But eventually I got really good at sales and I ended up burning out because I thought that I didn't know how to teach people how to sell the way that I sold, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have a good formula for that. So I was a great salesperson, but a terrible sales manager. So I could never grow beyond me just hustling out in the streets and doing that. And that's what burned me out eventually and got me to be like, you know what, I'm done with the sales life. Let me go to, let me go back to the whole prescribed plan. Let me get back on track. I got the degree already. Let me go get the corporate job. I started a company called Cerner doing um, uh, tier three tech support. I did that for like less than a year before I got fired because that, that annual salary of working eight to 10 hours a day, plus weekends, plus on call and all this other stuff was like $50,000. I was like, bro, I can go back and sell life insurance for like two days a week and make that, right? Like yeah. it, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. time commitment didn't make sense to me. And then um, mm -hmm. after I got fired from Cerner, another failure, because I just, I'm not made for that, you know, hardcore, just high pressure, nine to five um, perform uh, performance job. So that's why I get with the federal government, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. My, my wife said, you should apply for the federal government. And so I did. I applied and I, uh, at the time I actually had my real estate license. That was another thing that I tried and failed at. And I didn't, uh, but I had the license was on my resume. So maybe that's why HUD reached out to me and said, Hey, um, you should come in for an interview. And so I bombed the HUD questions. I had no idea about any of that stuff, but the personality questions, because I was such a good salesman, you know, they loved me and they gave me a shot. They gave me, uh, I came in as an, uh, an account executive, which is basically a, uh, in multifamily of all things. I started off in HUD and multifamily not knowing the gold mine that I was That's awesome. and all the connections that I could make, but I was, yeah. I was on the opposite side. I was a cog yeah. in the machine, right? Yeah. Just, you were, you were the W2 side of things. Yeah. Exactly. I was, I was, a, I was a pod in the matrix uh, ecosystem and um, I was too busy focused on how do I go from $50,000 a year to a hundred thousand dollars a year? Not, and, and even I remember this one specific assignment I had, it was a, they call it an Earl interest rate reduction loan. And basically it's a cash out refinance on a multifamily property. And I was like, 
I'm signing this one form and somebody out there is making, you know, $500,000. Like that's 10 years of my annual salary right here. Yeah. Just for me signing off on this form. But it wasn't a big enough, like, you know, I didn't make that connection there. The gear didn't turn. I was just like, all right, next assignment. I just go on. I didn't ask the question. I was like, how is it that there's somebody out there getting paid $500,000 at the, at the, at the stroke of a pen? Right. That, mm, that, that's yeah. the kind of question you got to ask yourself. Like the things that are happening. Like if you, if you just stop and you look around from wherever you're at, right. Look at all the real estate that's around you. The bigger the building, the better because somebody owns it. And it could be you. If it you could be, how. if you learn exactly. how. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that's really cool, man. That, uh, you know, invulnerable to kind of share your failures because we all have failures and oftentimes we're too proud or whatever, we're, even we're, to recognize them ourselves. We're taught incorrectly in school mm -hmm. from a very early age because you go ahead and you take a test and all you got is all these red marks and then you're made to feel bad about it. Oh, you got it. I failed. All my tests had red marks. I failed math <laughs> yeah. in sixth grade, by the way. Right? Yeah, and, that's that's um, so true. It's, it's, it's put into you in society from a young age that... Yeah failure failure is wrong or you know you, exactly. it, you're and, you're and, you're a loser and the other thing is you know if you if you try to work with somebody else during a test you're gonna you know it's called cheating but no most awesome successes are made with partnerships you work Absolutely. together you you marry your strengths and your weaknesses together right and so i'm able to just help a lot of people not a lot of people are as analytical as i am and it just so happens that I'm analytical and I'm also a little bit outgoing. So I'm, I'm not afraid of talking to people because of that. I had that sales background. And so yeah, all these things great. that I failed at in my past, right? Um, shoot, I'm married. And I didn't get my wife on here. Let's talk about some of my failures. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a different discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we get our can all do that one. Yeah, um, no, me and my wife are doing pretty fantastic. Um, That's awesome, man. But, uh, but yeah, man, don't like the idea that we have about failure in general is just completely incorrect it's it's so bad that you, and here's an interesting statistic i'll ask you guys this question i know you guys are interviewing me but let me ask you this question how many times do you think people try to do something new before they give up average across the board that's a great question i don't have that answer just yeah, get, I, mean, yes, I know the answer just get, i'll say th three times three times for tom how about you know yeah say two Two? Two to three. Less than one. Most people quit before they even try once. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Before they try once. That's yeah. how that's how ingrained this whole um, you know, matrix thing is about, you know, hey, stay in the color in the lines. Don't go outside of the box. Don't think outside the box. Don't work with other people. If you make mistakes and you're an idiot and you're bad, right? So yeah. if you judge yeah. a fish yeah. on its ability to climb a tree, you know, it's going to grow up its whole life thinking it's stupid and it's wrong. So let me, let me yeah. ask you really quick. And this is kind of, uh, you know, off the cuff, sure. you have an individual, they love their job they've yeah. got now, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, they've had successes, they've had failures mm -hmm. and they say, Hey, you know what? I'm a GS 13. I'm a GS 12, whatever the case is. Yeah. You know what? I don't want to take that step. I don't want to set myself up for failure. They may have that little bit of fear. Sure. How can they get involved in real estate if they don't want to take that step into taking something down themselves? Oh, man, what do you I think some of the best ways for them? To, the, they want to take some action, but they want to take safer action, you know? For sure. The, the best thing that what I would do, because I'm in that situation, right? If you're able to, man, the first thing you got to do is have a good sense of financial literacy. Right. 
So it means getting your financial house in order. You need to know, even though you're making these big bucks, you need to make sure you're not suffering from what some people call lifestyle creep. Because the more money mm. you make, all of a sudden you go from driving a Honda to like, I don't know what the next step up is. Uh, the Grand Jeep Cherokee. The Grand Jeep Cherokee, right? And then, yeah. and then yeah. worse off, you have it on a lease, right? So it's just like, you're, you're constantly losing money on that one. And then when that, when that one is done, then you go, hey, I'm making more money now. I'm a GS13 step five or whatever. I can go ahead and afford that Beamer, right? I can go afford so, some nicer Mercedes or whatever it is. You're, you're, as you get, uh, as your income goes up, your expenses go up. And that's why most people live paycheck to paycheck. So the very first thing is figure out where you can cut back on your expenses, right? Because the whole entire shiny object syndrome is going to be one of those, you know, death traps for you financially. So get your financial house in order. If you learn how to manage your expenses at a really reasonable rate, at case in point, my wife and I set a household budget when we first got married. And no matter how much money that we made, we always make sure we've had money put away for um, our 401k, our TSPs, what we have in government. We had money employed for our IRA or individual retirement account. This is before I knew about investing in real estate, right? Um, there's better ways to invest your money, but the very least is where you can start off with, right? And uh, we gave ourselves a, a monthly stipend of what she could spend and what I could spend. And when we first started off, it was $200 per month, right? We couldn't question each other about that personal expense, right? Because we're, yep. we're making, right? And after between she and I, in the four years we lived in Kansas City, we got seven promotions. And then we bumped it up to a whopping $400 a month. That's our budget. And anything over $150, we just have to, we just have to tell the other person just so they know, hey, by the way, I'm going to buy this. It's mine. But it's over 150 like we agreed. And we've kept that for a long time. Even now, <laughs> which is, it's, it's weird to say is because I only allow myself $400 a month of personal expenses. And even then, I don't use it. It just rolls up and it's just, a, you know, maybe uh, I'll, I'll use a few thousand bucks to uh, go buy a new computer here soon because this one's crapping out. I built it a long time ago. Um, but once you have your finances under control and you're able to take the money that you're making from your W-2 and you're able to, to save up a decent, you know, $30,000, $50,000 a year between you and your spouse, then I think you can get the best thing to do personally is in, get involved in uh, multifamily syndications from the passive investor side. So what we do when we buy these apartment buildings, I'm on the active side as a general partner. Yes, I'm doing some of the work, the analytical finding the deal. But when I, when, I when I talked about it earlier, when I said, hey, I'm finding investors who want to put their money into me, those investors, all they need to bring to the table is the capital. They bring their capital to the deal and then they kick back and they relax and they wait for their quarterly checks to come into the mail. Most people do ACH because who wants to go cash a check at the bank and wait in line? Exactly. Go, right? But yeah. you get my point. You can go ahead and earn mailbox money. And the reason why that works is because the structure of a deal, which is funny, um, I actually have a group of students that I teach multifamily to every single week. And this, and this week's lesson was about deal structure. Um, the, way that the, the reason why we do these deals is because when you see apartment buildings, when they're purchased, the structure of that deal typically, most times, is 30% goes to the general partners and 70% goes to the investors, the limited partners, right? And so we give them that much of the property because financially, we're able to get them solid double-digit returns, you know, 15, 20% returns on their money, and they do no work for it versus... Yeah. Versus if you put your money in the stock market like I was doing, well, I used to do. I don't do it anymore, thank God, because I see what's happening right now in the market, right? Same, um, same. What, what happens is 
you put your money in the stock market. You have your ups, your downs, the roller coasters. Right now, we're in a very, very down time, right? And when COVID hit on, everybody who's investing in their 401ks are like, oh my God, I'm making all this money. This is amazing. If you didn't know to sell in April of 2022, then right now you're worse off than, than you were, except that now you've lost three years of your life financially. Mm -hmm. This is why I don't do the stock yeah. market anymore, right? Because I, yeah, I, I see the game for what it is. And but on average, if you stick with it long enough for this whole 40-year plan that you're supposed to stick to, you will make about 10% on your money as long as you leave it in there. Compounding is what they say, right? But it comes out to 10% <laughs> um, returns. The problem with it is a lot of problems with it. Number one, you can't touch that money until you're 59 and a half. Why? <laughs> Stop yeah. question. Why can I not touch yeah. my money that Ridiculous. I put in there for my worth, right? If you take it out, what happens? You get taxed and you have a penalty on it. 25%. Like one, yeah. that's worse than what they were doing in the short-term management side to me, right? 25% penalty. And here's, here's a, a very real life example about why this is so bad. During COVID, a family member of mine had a construction company. It was Ashley's cousin's husband, right? So I call him family. Um, had a construction company and it was doing very bad in the middle of COVID, he was running out of money. So he had to tap into his 401k. He pulled out that money. He lost 50% after all of a sudden done the taxes, fees, and all this other crap of the money that he's been putting away. I mean, he's yeah, they're, they're a little bit older than us. They're, they're, he's like almost 60 or whatever. Can you imagine losing half of your life's savings because you, you put your money in the wrong vehicle? So that, that's one of those things that I say, hey, ask this question. Why, why, why am I getting penalized? for putting my money into this thing that I'm, I know was supposed to be the, the thing to do for success. Aside from all of that, let's just look what happens in the long run. You make 10% um, on average for your earnings, but then when you go and pull it out, you get taxed, right? Mm -hmm. You have long-term capital gains tax, but if you, if you want to try to eke it out and just say, hey, you know what, let me make it to Social Security so Social Security can carry me over into my later years because you you want to you're trying to like eke out a little bit more of that um that retirement right if you're retiring right now i feel bad for you because now you're at the lowest point that your account will have been in the last few years and you have to take um what's called an rmd if you're over 72 years old required minimum distribution yeah. if you Absolutely. don't take that money out right so so for at before 59 they'll penalize you um 25 after at 72 and beyond if you don't take the money out, they're going to penalize you 50%. Yeah, that's just, that's crazy. Like, yeah, like, so, like, so, like, yeah. so yeah, I, I don't know what we were talking about it initially, but yeah. Oh, about <laughs> what people can do with their money. So wake up, ask the questions about why am I putting my money into a 401k? Oh, because the company gives me a hundred percent match up to what? Three, four, five percent, maybe four or five percent max. Right. Yeah. yeah, like, like they're giving you That's... these crumbs, right? Like, Bank of America cracked me up. Um, they're like, oh, if you if you keep over a hundred thousand dollars in this account, we're gonna bump you up to a preferred platinum client. Oh, so what does that mean? It's like, well, you get twenty five percent extra interest. I was like, okay, what's the base interest? Point zero zero one percent. Oh, yeah, right. So I give you one hundred thousand right. dollars yeah. in cash that's just sitting there doing nothing, not working for me, not yeah. in my real estate, you know, yeah, not so stocks or whatever. And, and this absolutely goes to show that you, you know, the education is what 
really what matters. Yeah. Yeah, People aren't educated and they make the wrong decisions and it comes back to bite them later. Yeah. So so we're we're taught wrong about failure. We're we're not taught financial literacy at all. We're not taught about tax advantages that people take. Right. And, And they say, you know, that's why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I was like, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of truth to that, but the reality is, is if you're poor and you start adopting habits that rich people have, then you become rich. The yeah, same way, if somebody is rich, let's just say, man, and I'll use this term rich. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. If, let's just say, it, if, you're, if you're somebody who's rich and you adopt poor habits, then you will become poor, right? So if you just do what rich people do, 95% of millionaires are in real estate, by the way. If you do what rich people do, then you become rich. If you do what poor people do, you become poor. This is the reason why lottery winners, right? People who come into a big financial windfall, right? This is why they lose it all in five years. This is why 100%. when professional athletes who are getting paid millions of dollars sometimes end up homeless. Because when people get rich, what's the very first thing they do? I'm going to go buy spend, a spend. I'm gonna yeah. go they want it they want to live the life and look rich to everyone around them. Look rich. bro i'm telling you man you're looking at three millionaires over here look, look what are we wearing let me take my watch off real quick <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly but but, but no Russell, this has been phenomenal like yeah. i think it's a great note to to wrap up on just for sake of time but uh you know this and i know we could talk this all day 100 sure, percent. i love talking to you guys <laughs> love yeah. it but uh yeah no we, we really appreciate you jumping on today uh before we wrap up, tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you. What's the best uh, What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, um, like I said, I do a little bit of multifamily education. You can find me on uh, Instagram at Rasool, like my first name, R-A-S-O-O-L-C-R-E for commercial real estate. Uh, find me by uh, on Facebook. I'd love to add you. I'm not at my 5,000 friend limit yet. I'm getting there. I'm over 3,000 now. Um, Find me, my name, first, uh, Rasul Mudawakil, LinkedIn, same thing as uh, there. Um, and yeah, uh, reach out. Let me know that you heard me on the podcast. And if you have any questions, I'm always down to help guide people in the right direction. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rasul. And okay. thank you for today for listening to the Wealth Tank podcast. Been phenomenal. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, this is it. Uh, to learn more about investing in multifamily real estate with the JCore Partners, check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and if you're ready to take the leap with us, set up a call, and uh, we're happy to connect. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks for yeah. coming, guys. Yeah, take care.